Good morning again. You have your Bibles with you open to the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17, and find verse 20. We'll return to that in a moment. Last week we went off the series. We had some baptism last week, and so we talked about what baptism is and what it's not. So today we're going to pick up with this series, Hope is Here. We have this week and next week. And then after that, October 31st, which is a watershed moment in church history, the beginning of the Reformation with Martin Luther nailing his 95 Theses to the church store in Wittenberg. We'll talk about that. And then we'll go into a new sermon series talking about 10% biblical stewardship. And that will lead us into the holidays and then in the new year. So you have some time now. In the new year, the next book we're going to tackle is the Gospel of John. Go ahead and read that ahead of time. Make notes. And by the way, if you have a question, I'm opening myself up now. Read ahead. If you have a question or something you'd like to see me tackle, send me an email. Let me know, and we'll take a look at it. So go ahead and read that ahead of time. We're going on now to our series about hope is here, how God gives us hope in the midst of a hopeless world. And we have talked about how Jesus brings us hope when we are weary and we are heavy from the burdens of life. And we also talked about how we don't have to walk alone. We talked about the hope that comes from the grace of Jesus when we are broken because of our sin and how we can forgive others because we have been forgiven. Now today we're going to talk about hope that is given to us when we feel like we're in a situation or a circumstance that is more than what we can handle. Have you ever been in a situation that you just felt like, I don't know what to do, I'm so overwhelmed, I don't know, you ever felt like that? I'm the only one, huh? I see a couple hands going up. We get that way sometimes. We feel like we're the underdog. As I thought about this, I, I thought about, there's a lot of movies I can mention, but we love movies about the underdog. Movies such as Rudy or Walkie or Cool Runnings. I remember Rudy was about a young man who wanted to attend University of Notre Dame, and uh, he wasn't the best football player. In fact, he didn't have grades. He had to go get his grades up, get in school. And he was on a walk-on, but he wasn't part of the team yet. And finally, he earns the respect of the coach and the players he plays. It's a great story, story of an underdog. How about uh, Rocky? Now, you guys all know about Rocky, what, like Rocky 50 now being made? But anyway, about a guy who's in the boxing world, uh, an underdog, and his fight. And then Cruel Runnings with John Candy's about the Jamaican bobsled team. Uh, that was real big news back in the day. What do you mean Jamaica has a bobsled team? And that's a movie about how these guys went and didn't have much funding, but they went on to the Winter Olympics. But my point being, we like those stories about underdogs, people who have so many obstacles to overcome. And we have many films that are made like these that have unlikely characters overcoming amazing odds. Now, the stories are told in different ways, in different contexts, and different cultures, but all these stories tell the story of hope. And I, I think we like these movies because it does something for us. At some level, we know what it's like to be the underdog, to overcome overwhelming odds and circumstances. And we feel like we see this character pull that off, overcome all these odds. We feel like if they win, then we can win. Now, we already talked about this a minute ago. Some of you raised your hands that 
we admit that life is full of daunting tasks, hard, intimidating, overwhelming situations. And the first thing I'm going to mention, parenting. Parenting is an overwhelming, difficult thing to do. Come on, man. You got a perfect opportunity to say amen. You missed it. It's, it's overwhelming. You know what thing I've learned about being a father? It never stops. I never cross the goal line. I never spike the ball. No matter how old I am, I will always be their father. But it's a daunting task. How about navigating global pandemics? The year 2020 was overwhelming in many ways. Joining careers and family can be difficult. Growing in your faith. And defeating sinful habits can also be a great challenge. But what makes these all challenging is that as we go and tackle these things, they're never meant to be done alone. And the Bible is full of stories who have people in these stories that overcome immense odds. And these people are fully aware if God was not on their side, there is no hope of a favorable outcome. Left to themselves, they would face defeat. And one of the most classic stories I can think of, and we're there this morning, is David and Goliath. What a story to tell. And this account takes place long before David is king of Israel. In fact, he's just a young boy when this event happened. So let's look at 1 Samuel, and we'll read verses 20 through 21, start off with. 1 Samuel 17, verse 20. So David arose early in the morning and left the flock with a keeper and took the supplies and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. So David goes. As he goes into this conflict, you have to remember just a few hours beforehand he was out tending sheep. And now he finds himself as the Israel and Philistine army are going to clash in a massive conflict. And it's clear from the beginning of the story that David finds himself in what we would kind of render above his pay grade. And the first readers of the story would be overwhelmed how quickly the scenery changes. I mean, he's out taking care of the sheep, and his father Jesse says, take this to your brothers, and there he goes there, and now he finds himself in the midst of an upcoming battle. How quickly things have changed for David. And it made me think about myself, and perhaps you as well, that we are rarely prepared for the fight. The truth is that we are hardly ever prepared to manage or handle what life may throw at us. It's a phone call with a diagnosis from the doctor. It could be a discovery of infidelity, or it could be a temptation that we did not see coming. Life has a way of throwing us into situations that we never saw coming, and we're not really prepared to handle it. And no one asks to be placed in that position where there's no clearer act of victory. And this is where David finds himself. Now, I want you just a picture in your mind. These are not just a few guys. This is massive army about to, about to clash. 
We read in the text that Israel is shouting the war cry. And there's David. Perhaps that's where you find yourself today. You're in the midst of a situation that you didn't see coming, but there you are. And you're wondering what to do next. And when we find ourselves in that place, we need some type of hope. For example, consider the year 2020. What a year, huh? The pandemic. The fear of the unknown. What if I get it? What if my family gets it? How about my doctor? What's going to happen? How about my financial resources? The shortage of supplies. And some of this continues on today. But at some point, we have to decide how we're going to respond. Do we give up and accept defeat? Or do we trust God that he's going to give us the strength to carry on? Are we just going to give up and throw in the towel? Or are we going to keep pressing on? David arrives at those front lines to check on his brothers who are fighting in the Israelite army. And at this point, David gets a real first-hand glance at what Israel is facing. Verses 22 through 26. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. As he was talking with them, behold, the champion, the Philistine from Gath named Goliath, was coming up from the army of the Philistines, and he spoke these same words, and David heard them. When all the men of Israel saw him, they fled from him and were greatly afraid. The men of Israel said, Have you seen this man who is coming up? Surely he is coming up to defy Israel. And it will be that the king will enrich the man who kills him with great riches and will give him his daughter and make his father's house free in Israel. And this is David's response. Then David spoke to the men who were standing by him, saying, What will be done for the man who kills this Philistine and takes away the reproach from Israel? For who is this uncircumcised Philistine that he should taunt the armies of the living God? David's talking what I would say a little smack here. Who does this guy think he is? The people answered and accorded with this word, saying, Thus it will be done for the man who kills him. Now Elab, his oldest brother, heard what he spoke to the men, and Elab's anger burned against David and said, Why have you come down, and with whom have you left those sheep in the wilderness? I know your insolence and the wickedness of your heart, for you have come down in order to see the battle. But David said, What have I done now? Was it not just a question? Then he turned away from another and said the same thing, and people answered the same thing as before. You see what's happening here. David is showing a little courage here, and everybody else is running scared. This guy gets mad at him. So who do you think you are? Go back and watch the sheep. You're just a boy. And I just say that in a text. I'm just reading into the situation, what's going on here. Skip down to verse 32. David said to Saul, Let no man's heart fail on account of him, Goliath. Your servant will go and fight this Philistine. Then Saul said to David, You're not able to go this, against this Philistine to fight with him. For you are but a youth while he was a warrior from his youth. You see this what he's talking about? You can't do this, David. You're just a boy. But David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep when a lion or a bear came and took a lamb from the flock. I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard or by his fur and struck him and killed him. 
Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he's taunted the armies of the living God. One thing you can hear as you continue to read on this story is the determination that David has. Although he's just a young man, a young boy at this point, he knows someone has to do something here. Someone has to stand up to this guy. This is a massive threat, a man named Goliath. He was a decorated warrior from Philistine. He struck fear into the hearts of everyone who saw him. He was a giant. He was terrifying. Look into the text. The whole Israel army was paralyzed with fear. They ran at the sight of this guy. The whole army. No one was willing to take on this giant. However, someone had to do something, and David is willing to take that on. Here's a young teenage boy, perhaps 13 or 14 years old. All these men, all these warriors are running the other way in fear. He goes, what are you guys doing? Now I'm paraphrasing. What this, what, who's this guy think he is? He's defying the army of the living God. What would cause a young boy, an underdog, if you will, to take on such a huge task? Because he had hope. Hope that he will not fight this battle alone. Hope that with God's help there is nothing that is impossible. And hope that what Lily has to offer will be enough. How could he come to such conclusion? Because of God's faithfulness in the past. Look what he says in the text. He was out there with the sheep. And a lion, a bear came and attacked and he took care of them, right? The Lord took care of him then and protected him. Surely the Lord will protect him now. And we have that favorite scripture we like to quote. If God is for us, then what? Who can stand against us? If God is for us, nothing can stand against us. When we find ourselves in the seasons of struggle, we need to remind ourselves of how God has been faithful to us in the past. And that will give us trust and give us hope. See, hope is derivative of trust. When we believe someone or something is trustworthy, it gives us hope. And let me tell you something. This hope I keep talking about, it's not that wishy-washy hope like we throw around today. Oh, I hope the Cowboys win. Yeah, I did say it. <laughs> oh, I hope it, it, it stays cool. Or I hope that I get the day off tomorrow. No, when I talk about biblical hope, the hope we have in Christ is a sure thing. It's already done. It's like a, a child who plays with his father or mother in the pool. Perhaps you've seen, I've seen this. The parent, the father or mother are out in the pool. It could be a grandparent. And they're out in the deep end. They're treading water just enjoying life. And this little, this little kid maybe eight, nine years old, doesn't know how to swim, sees his parent out there. This kid, not knowing how to swim, just jumps out and swims towards his or her parent, not even caring about how deep the water is or they cannot, they, they don't think about, well, I could drown. All they know about is their parent loves them and they will be there to catch them if need be. They have complete trust that their parent is not going to let them come to any harm that's what it's like to have God on our side he is there always walking with us that's David's confidence comes from God's 
faithfulness. It's the drive he needs to overcome. I don't care what you're going through this morning. Look back to where God has brought you from. I look back in my life when I first surrendered my life to Christ and where I'm at today. It's been baby steps the whole way. But as I look back, wow. I didn't see everything then when it happened, but I definitely can see turning points now as I look back. And that's true as individuals, but also as a church. Forest Brick Baptist Church, look what God has brought you through the last five or six years. Look how many people are coming. And only coming, but people giving their lives to Christ, following obedience to baptism. David had confidence. Let's go back in the story and pick it up in verse 40. Although I want to mention in 36 up to 39, King Saul tries to fit David with some armor that he had, but it doesn't fit. So David took it all off. He said, this is not going to help. Look at verse 40. He he took his stick in his hand and chose for himself five smooth stones from the brook. And he put them in the shepherd's bag, which he had, even in his pouch. And his sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. Then the Philistine came and approached David with the shield bearer in front of him. When the Philistine looked at and saw David, he disdained him, for he was but a youth and ruddy with a handsome appearance. Verse 43, the Philistine said to David, Am I a dog that you come with these sticks? And the Philistine cursed David by his gods. The Philistine also said to David, Come to me and I will give your flesh to the birds of the sky and the beasts of the field. Listen to David's response and read with me verse 45. Then David said to the Philistine, You come to me with a sword, a spear, and a javelin. But I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts the God of the armies of Israel, whom you've taunted. This day the Lord will deliver you up in my hands. I will strike you down and remove your head from you, or I'll cut your head off. And I will give the dead bodies of the army of the Philistines this day to the birds of the sky and the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel, and that this assembly may know that the Lord does not deliver by sword or spear, for the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hands." Did you catch what David said? You come with all these weapons, what the text say, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of the armies of Israel. Notice throughout this whole story, David never talks about his skill, what he can do. He's continually giving credit to God. And he was just a boy. Now, from the world standpoint, Saul's, Like I said earlier, he's kind of looking out for David, putting armor on him, but it doesn't fit. Well, guess what? He has to take it off. That kind of be kind of disappointing to you and me. What are we going to do now? How am I going to fight this guy? I can't wear this armor. I can't use this. What can I do now? But look what David does. He goes out, gets five smooth stones and a sling. That's what he's going to fight this giant with. And he responds to the Goliath after Goliath tells him, I'm going to kill you, I'm going to feed your dead flesh to the birds and the beasts. And he goes, oh yeah, the God's going to deliver you in my hands. 
Because the battle is whose? Look at the text. Who's the battle belongs to? Who's the battle belong to? Look at the text. The Lord's. This is how we fight our battles as well. Maybe you don't feel equipped to overcome the things that you're facing right now. You're in good company. Maybe you know that your trial is too much for you. That's a good place to start because it's only when we realize that our battles are not waged in conventional ways, but rather in the Spirit, then we'll begin to experience God's fighting on our behalf in our lives. For David, this was a spiritual battle. It will take God's intervene to have victory. See, a lot of times we get ourselves in trouble because we go on a battle and we think we can rage it all ourselves and we end up getting hurt. We end up losing. But we have God in our lives and we let God intervene. That's when we can experience victory. Paul speaks to this in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 12. For our struggle is not against the flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the powers, against the rural forces of this darkness, against the spiritual forces of wickedness in the heavenly places. Now, can I just tell you, I'm going to jump ahead. Our problem in this country is not the politicians. We're still going to have the same problems. I don't care who you vote for. This is a spiritual battle for people's souls. And when we realize that and we pray like that, then we'll start seeing victory. But then again, this world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Yes, I like to have nice things. Yes, I like to have good health. Yes, I like to go and do stuff. But the reality is, this is not my home. I'm going somewhere else. And sometimes I get so wrapped up in what's going on around me, that I lose sight of what the goal is. We have to take a spiritual approach. And sometimes it's a battle because we have to submit to God's will for our lives. When we fight our most difficult circumstances by bringing them to God in prayer, we fight against the evil that we come against by inviting God to intervene on our behalf. We have a group that does this every Wednesday, say about 1.30. I know some ladies go back in that prayer room, and they're praying. And they're praying for God to intervene on their lives, on my life, and the life of this church. They're waging spiritual battle. David calls upon God as he engages Goliath on the battlefield, and with a single shot... The precise throw, and more importantly, the power of God. Read in that story as you continue on. He hits him right in the forehead. The text literally says it goes, sinks into his forehead. He doesn't just fall. Go back and look at that verse. It said he fell on his face on the ground. He goes over. And he cuts the head off Goliath. And the whole story changes. That single victory spreads like wildfire. And it turns the whole tide of the war. And the Philistines are running and the Israelites pursue them. Think about that. Just moments before all this happened, they were running scared. They didn't want to fight this guy. And they were to, no. And now, after he kills, man, they just, everybody go after him. That one act emboldened the army. 
think about it. A, a little boy in his sling. By his bravery and trust in God, the whole army is given hope that they too can be triumphant with God. See, hope is contagious. David's hope in God spreads around the army like a wildfire. And like I said, the whole story changes. The whole narrative changes. At first it was about fear and defeat. Now it's about victory and courage. See, something happens when somebody has that faith and has that hope in God. There's something that happens in a fellowship. Dare I say a local church. When one person dares to have trust and hope in God for great things, things begin to happen. We, we had that happen last week. We had three young men place their faith in Christ and then publicly declared it here in this room before God of all of us. They believed God can do great things. See, it starts with one person who believes that God can use them to help others get out of poverty. It starts with that one individual that believes that children in the community, community can be impacted by VBS or BLAST. It starts with that one person that has a heart for overseas missions. It takes that one person who believes that prayer actually changes things. And when that begins to happen, it spreads like wildfire. Oh my goodness gracious me, you will see great things happening. Prayer changes things. I am a product of prayer. My mama prayed for me many, many times. But you can ask Tammy about this story. She wanted me to go to church with her one day. It was back when Burke was just a small thing. And I'm not going to tell you exactly what I said because completely inappropriate, but I made some smart remark about I'll never go in front of church again. But then God put people in my life. I can look back, I see it now, but then I didn't, I didn't see it. But make a long story short, God answered that prayer, but she'll tell you, well, time out, I'm glad you want to give your life to Christ, but being a pastor, I don't want to be a pastor's wife. In other words, guys, be specific when you pray. Because God only answered that prayer, but he took it in a way that we never saw coming. Trust. This, this hope, this trust, this faith can be the spark that ignites a whole congregation to have hope. And instead of looking around and saying, I wonder who that one person may be, take a long look in a mirror and say, that's, that's you. That could be you that has that hope, that has that trust. And it's in those difficult circumstances. I mean, look at the circumstance David finds him. It's easy to go back and look on it, yeah, he, but put yourself in that context. Now, every analogy breaks down, okay, so this is not going to be perfect, but the thing I, that grows through my mind is it'd be like me going on the field with the Dallas Cowboys, and the offense of the Redskins or Philadelphia Eagles line up on the line. And all those big, huge defensive linemen and linebackers and safeties and corners all go, oh, they're too frightful. I can't do it. They run off the field. And I'm standing there, what's wrong with you guys? We can do this. <laughs> what's this guy going to do? He's only, what, five-something, hundred-something odd pounds? He can't stand. 
I hope you know where I'm going with this. It's about having that hope in the midst of no matter what circumstance you find yourself in, God will get you through. And you can have confidence in that because of his faithfulness to you in the past. A lot of people are freaking out in our country right now. I mean, literally, oh, the sky is falling. Did not Jesus tell us that things are going to get bad? Did not he tell, did, did he tell us that? He said, I'm telling you now, so when it happens, you won't, Tim's translation, freak out. But these things have to pass. But what does he promise us through every circumstance? Remember the last part of the Great Commission? Remember what it says? And I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. I'm going to be right there with you. I may not take you out of that storm, but I'll be right there with you, walking all the way through it. I'll never leave you. And I'll never forsake you. The world looks at Forest Brook Baptist Church and says, What can a little country real church do? How can it make any positive change in the world? These people in the small town. I submit to you today, we're all going to make a difference in this town. Those kids, the parents. And it's all based on our hope and our faith that Jesus can do exactly what he told us he can do. In the midst. Let me tell you something about ministry. You ever figured this out by now? It's tough. It's hard. And there'll be times you'll be tempted just to throw in the towel. But I'm telling you, hold fast. Hang on. He'll go through. He'll be there with you. But even if things don't work out the way we think, knowing I can stand before God as I told those kids just a moment ago, to stand in front of my creator, the holy God himself, and hear those words, well done, thy good and faithful servant. There is an ancient church father, his name is Thomas Aquinas. He said this, quote, Faith has to do with things that are not seen and hope with things and hope with things that are not at hand. So have faith in things you cannot see, but you have hope in things you can't have right in your hand. But you believe in the one who equipped you for that. It, I'll say this over and over again, get tired of it, but God does not call the equipped, he equips the called. A 13-year-old boy stood before a giant who grew men ran, paralyzed in fear. That's what the text says. Even though you may not see how God might come through in your circumstance, you're not quite sure what's going on, faith is believing that it's still possible. And when a whole church functions that way, that's when things begin to change. Hope for the underdog. I, I just want to challenge you over the next few weeks. Go back in the Bible and look at some of the characters that you find in the Bible. The most, if you look at some of these people, like they're just, just common day people. Nothing really extraordinary about them. And quite frankly, some of them, I mean, there's some messed up families in the Old Testament. Let's just be honest. But yet God uses ordinary people. Ordinary people. To do extraordinary things. 
And I believe God has some extraordinary things to do here in this church. He's just getting started. But we have to remain faithful and say God will see us through. He'll provide all the resources that we need. He'll bring people that we need. We just need to remain faithful to the end. Hope for the underdog. Myself personally, I'm thankful for that. God's not looking for the most educated person in the room. He's not looking for the the prettiest or the most handsome person in the room. You know what he's looking for? A willing heart. Someone who will believe him and put their faith and trust in him and follow him. That's what he's looking for. And I know there are times when God will make a clear cut. This is where you need to go. And it's easy. But a lot of times it's difficult. You don't see the other side. Tim, do you trust me? Dial, do you trust me? Trey, do you trust me? It's always that question, is it? And let me th- say this and I'll conclude. If you're giving your life to Christ already, you've trusted him with the most important question you could ever answer. Where will you spend eternity and who do you trust? If you can trust him with the most important thing in your life, the eternity of where you spend that time, where your soul is headed, then I will tell you, you can trust him in the little things. And just the little things. And here, the, he wants you to do that. He longs for you to do that, to have those conversations with him. So number one, do you have a relationship with Christ? Have you come to a point in your life, you know you've broken his law, you have sinned against God, and he's calling you home. Would you come? Repent of that. Put your faith and trust in Christ. And make him both Lord and Savior of your life. Perhaps you've done that. But you caught up in other things. And he's calling you home. Perhaps you're in that place where you feel so overwhelmed. Can you hear God just telling you, give it over to me. Give it over to me. Let go, let go, let go. Trust me with it. Or perhaps you're looking for a new church home. Can you hear God saying, this is where I want you to be. Trust me. Trust me. It's not by accident you're sitting in that pew this morning. It was a divine appointment. He's speaking to you right now. Please listen to his voice. Heavenly Father, We thank you for this time that we've had together and with you. Father, as we read the story of David when he's just a young boy, the faith and the hope he had in you in the midst of overwhelming odds and a difficult situation, 
Father, it stirs the hope up that we have in us, inside ourselves. And Father, as we go about our lives, may people see that lived out. And may, may we always be ready to give the reason for the hope that we have within ourselves. And Father, if there's anyone here that's not quite sure where they stand with you, they have a relationship with your son, Father, may this be the day and the hour they will take the step and reach out to you. Father, if it's things in our lives we need to let go of, may the day be the day that we hand it over to you. Trusting you will take care of it. And Father, we praise you and we thank you for what's going to be done in advance. We thank you for your love, your mercy, and forgiveness. May we not leave this place, O oh God, till we do business with you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Would you stand with me, please?